There's a lot of things in this old world That just do not make sense Like why there's so few believers on the firing line While so many others sit the fence But if you want to know where the word of God stands And believe it wants to use your feet and hands It's time to take your faith out of the seats And into the streets And come along with me If you'll only look Then you will see On WCN-TV friends. Pastor Mike with you again. Thank you for joining me on this episode of WCN-TV. I am blessed, thrilled to welcome author Dave Bowden. Parallel Faith, walking alongside others on their journey to Christ. Now, I like this book for a number of reasons, um, and I don't think it was Dave's intention, but as I was going through the book, um, a couple of truths emerge that that I think support everything that that Dave wrote in this book. Again, parallel faith, walking alongside others on their journey to Christ, and that is that we live in a time where Christianity is largely built as a subculture in too many places. And for those of you who don't quite grasp what I'm what I'm getting at by saying that Christianity is built as a subculture. Um, too many Christians have kind of uh, abdicated their responsibility to win the lost, to share Christ with the lost. In other words, to disciple, and they've they've constructed, in many cases unknowingly. I'll I'll give them give them that. But they've constructed a complete culture outside of the secular culture that really inhibits and and maybe stunts their desire to reach the lost. So that was one thing that came out in this book. The second thing was that understanding that Christianity built as a subculture does not have near the impact as the biblical model. And I mean, that goes without saying, right? Yeah. But the third thing is living with the lost is not the same thing as living among them. Living with the lost is not the same thing as living among them. So we're going to be talking about discipleship, folks. And and again, the book is Parallel Faith. The author is Dave Bowden. And Dave has been kind enough to join us from the U.K., and so, Dave, thank you very much, and welcome to WCN-TV. Thank you for having me. It's absolutely brilliant to be with you all. Well, we are thrilled that you've, you've joined us. Um, I, I picked up on one of the 
uh, uh, footnotes that you had early in the book. It was on a survey, and and it was uh, the name of the survey was almost seventy percent of born again Christians say Jesus Christ isn't the only way to God. Yeah. Now I went out there and looked at this article, and I've read other statistics surveys, the results, and how to how to understand the data. Um, but this one is a is a recent one. It was it was 2021, so it's so it's fairly recent. Um, but this survey of of among those surveyed of those who profess faith in Christ, sixty um, percent of them said that they share their faith. And here's here's the here's the point: they share their faith with other people at least once a year. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, yeah. that's not going to work. It, well, it's not going to work, is it? And it and it's no, not working. It's not working. I think that's the point. But I think you've picked up on a really interesting point there, right at the start of this conversation, is that there's a massive difference between being somebody who says that they're a believer and somebody who actually says they're a disciple. And um, Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples. He didn't say, go into all the world and make more believers. In fact, we've probably got 2 billion believers already in the world, haven't we? People who say, well, I believe that stuff, or they believe a version of it. Um, and, and I suppose the one step down from a believer would be an attender. You know, so Jesus didn't say, go into all the world and make attendees of church meetings. He said, go and make disciples. And it reflected in what you've just said there about, the reality of people not sharing the faith, the reality of people not really doing the things that Jesus told us to do. It kind of means that from when we're in Houston in America or Hounslow in London, we do have a problem, don't we? Yes, that's right. Very, very serious problem. So I followed a little daisy chain and spent a little bit of time springboarding off of the survey that I think it was in chapter one where you cited that footnoted it. Um, and that that led me to another survey from the Cultural Research Center in Arizona Christian University, which, interestingly enough, folks, George Barna is the head researcher for that particular research center. This survey res- revealed that 62% of those who claim faith in Christ, 62% who would say, yes, I'm a born-again believer, don't believe that the Holy Spirit is real. Yeah. How about that? 62 folks. And, and, again, and again, that's reflecting the reality of what we see, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. if you don't believe that there's power to do things, if we don't believe that fuel is there, we're less likely to actually take action and go and do the things that Jesus told us to do. And and at the end of the day, whichever kind of, I suppose, church tradition you're from, the reality is that the Holy Spirit is there to power us, empower us to do what God has told us to do. So if we don't believe that the Holy Spirit is there to give us the fuel to do that, we're never going to get in the driver's seat. We're never going to get actually on that journey. Um, and I think that's probably why it then becomes a lot easier to do the first thing you picked up on right at the start, which, you know, my version of what you said about people building subcultures, I would call that living in your Christian bubble. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and it's so right. easy to live in our Christian bubble, isn't it? Because it is incredibly comfortable. It it is, Dave, and and I I liken it too, and have have uh, characterized it as many times 
uh, Christian Disney world. Yeah. We are, we are content living in this constant 24 seven amusement. And, and we think that's normal. And actually it is, it is very abnormal. And in fact, it's very dangerous uh, folks. And forgive me, Dave, I, I, I wanted to give a little bit of your background before we got started and, and went, went right into the, the, the meat of the, of your book, but, off the back of the book, folks, Dave's the operations director of Grace Foundation, a Christian ethos charity that helps transform young people's lives through holistic education. Previously, the lead pastor in a local church. I want to applaud you for that, Dave, because uh, I've got several friends from the UK and uh, without any deviation, they all say it's pretty tough a uh, pretty tough garden to plow and to plant and to yeah. water and to there that, that, that especially in England, uh, yeah. there are some serious, serious issues. Um, but previously the lead pastor in local church has a well-established background in Christian ministry, working on local national and international projects that benefit the next generation. He is also co-creator Clear series, a media ministry that helps start spiritual conversations with young people all over the world. I was really interested in that because there's not enough people that are actually intentionally focusing their energy and their ministry on the next generation uh, in a way that the next generation is going to consider what you're saying, listen, consider and then actually engage in conversation because that's that's what you're after, right? It's absolutely what we're after, and it you know again it all links into the Christian bubble nature. So when you live in the Christian bubble and you're only talking to people in the Christian bubble, you're not that interested about people beyond it. Whereas there's a whole generation rising up, particularly even more so in the UK than in the States. So we're probably a little bit ahead of you guys in that kind of um, where they haven't got any church background. So 95% of young people in the UK have never met a Christian, got no connection to church whatsoever. So that's 95% of the next generation, which will be 95% of the population. And talking to the Clear Series, the media ministry, what we did there was a number of years ago, I was working in schools and I was talking with young people who were kind of not asking the kind of questions that I wanted them to be asking. So I wanted them to be talking about Jesus I wanted them to be asking us great questions about God um, but they were not interested uh, and so I was trying to present materials like you probably know the alpha course and like brilliant materials where session one of the alpha course says um, you know hey Jesus is either a madman or he was the son of God which one do you think he is well I'm telling you now the young people we were working with were, were like who's Jesus wow. yeah and, and to them Jesus was a swear word so what happened was I got really frustrated with a lot of the resources that were out there and, and there's some great things, but they were for people that were already in church and all, like kind of, you had to be in the club to be able to understand it. Yeah. So clear series was really born from this idea of how do we take a step back and meet young people where they're at and start answering the questions that they're actually asking, scratch the itch where, where, where they're kind of itching. And, um, you know, in many ways, like help people take steps towards Jesus before they take steps with him, which absolutely then plays out in the book, Parallel Faith. You know, in many ways, I would use the phrase pre-discipleship. So it's yeah. this whole idea of 
the space before somebody enters a church building, the space before somebody becomes a Christian, what do we as Christians do? Do we just leave the gap there? Do we just expect people to, like the illustration I, I, I use is, you know, like they're in the river, we're in the middle of the desert. Do we expect the fish to jump out of the river, crawl along the desert, we're there with a fishing rod and then jump onto our fishing rod so we can say we've caught one or are we going to go and are we going to go and meet them where they're at and i think clear series really came out of that heart to meet young people where they're at and it's been incredible actually that a series of videos that have been used all over the world thousands and thousands of churches many many young people have come to christ just by taking time to stop and pause and reflect and understand that they are spiritual to understand that they have an identity, they have a purpose, and that they have something that's bigger than themselves. So we, and it will help us frame frame the conversation. If so, like, so in the Clear Series videos, we don't mention God until session 20. So we have 19 sessions where we're talking about the young person. We're talking about, um, you know, what, where do you come from? You know, why do you have a spirit? Why do you have a soul? Why is it that when you... Uh, you feel compassion for someone on the other side of the world. Where does that come from? Why, when you stand in front of the Grand Canyon, do you feel a sense of awe and wonder? Where does that come from? What happens when you look into the stars and think, gosh, did somebody make that? So we do this whole journey with young people where we're taking them, realizing that they're spiritual people, they've got a soul. And then we ask the question, where did that soul come from? So what if the best argument for the existence of God is you? Mm -hmm. Well, that's the game changer. You know, and that's where we found many, many young people who've come to faith as a result of just taking time to think about spiritual things. Yeah. And they would never have engaged if we'd have gone in with, you need to come to church. You need to ask Jesus into your heart when they're they're just asking who's Jesus. Mm -hmm. So the way that I describe the spiritual landscape, particularly here in the UK with young people, is it's akin to fresh snow with no footprints on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Completely blank canvas again. Yes. Yes. I think you kind of answered some. One of my questions was going to be, where'd you come up or how'd you come up with the title? And I think you've just answered that. Um, why the title, the motivation behind the title, the, the mission statement that supports or the foundation of, of the book and the title. I think you just explained all that pretty well, Dave. So, so talking about what you were talking about was trying to, get young people to begin to consider a worldview, a a way of looking at life that's going to be consistent with reality, Hmm. but you're not introducing them to the creator of this reality until they have already established in their own minds certain things that are true. That, That question that you said you asked, well, where'd that soul come from? Yeah. Yeah, that, that that is a for for today's younger generation. I can just imagine you probably got a lot of looks like, hmm. Yeah, that's a very good question because yeah. <laughs> it leads, doesn't it? It leads inevitably to some very serious consideration of a creator. Absolutely. It's actually it's a profoundly simple statement, but it, it's you know, it's we talk about things like everything that's made requires a maker mm-hmm. you know so it's that that sort of very simple approach and these things have been done for thousands of years yes. and in fact the although we feel like sometimes the generation is so far away that we're trying to reach actually 
human to humans made in the image of God. And the, the challenge that we've got with the church, I think, which the book is trying to address, is that what's happened is we've taken the best news in the world, this wonderful good news of Jesus Christ, uh, you know, that God loves us, he's got a plan for our life, and we've packaged it in this religious packaging that nobody understands. And it's a bit like, do you remember during the lockdown when we had so many of these Zoom meetings with everybody? Nice. And there was always one guy on every Zoom meeting who was talking, but he was on mute. You know, and, and, yeah. and what happens is they they go and they're really passionate and they're talking at you and they're giving it. And everyone in the in the audience is listening. He's trying to put the hand up and stop and say, hey, you're on mute, you're on, you're on mute. But that person doesn't realise until somebody tells them. But the reality, so, and that's what it's like for us as Christians, is we're talking, but we're on mute. Um, but the reality is, is that nobody's on the other end is bothering to say, hey, you're on mute. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. I think that's the key difference is that the world out there is not interested. So how do we as Christians take this message and help People move from that place of being not interested to spiritually curious, then move from being spiritually curious to becoming a Christian, then move from becoming a Christian to becoming a disciple, and then move from being a disciple to being a disciple maker. That's the journey. Yes. And um, I guess one of the things that I realized in this idea of walking alongside other people on their journey to Christ is that when we talk about discipleship, which I know, Mike, you talk about so much on this show because you're so passionate about it. Actually, discipleship is helping anybody take another step towards Jesus from any starting point. So when, when we're out there evangelizing, we're helping move people from being not interested to spiritually curious. When we're discipling in the church, we're helping people to move from that place and making the decision to becoming a disciple or becoming a, a disciple maker. So everything is about moving people down that journey. And when you start to see discipleship like that, it, it just blurs the lines, doesn't it, between evangelism and discipleship. It starts to say, well, well maybe this is more of a spectrum than we think. Mm-hmm. We in the church, we have like the evangelism department, the discipleship department. And, I, and you say like, well, how do we do discipleship in our church? So, well, we do it on a Tuesday night. And, you know, Agatha does discipleship on a Tuesday night between 7.30 and 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. Well, what, hap- what happens for people that can't make it between 7.30 and 9.30 p.m.? You know, is Agatha the only one who's making disciples here? You know, and I use that as flippantly, but the reality is, is so many churches see discipleship as a program. They see it mm-hmm. as doing a Tuesday night. They see it as the job of the pastor. Yeah. But I tell you what, you and I both know Jesus didn't see it as any of those things. That's right. Amen. That's right. Dave, I love that. So that reminded me of an illustration you used, and I I don't remember what chapter it was in, but you were part of a big event. You planned this big event. You secured the the space for this big event. You were expecting hundreds of people to show up. And uh, as the time grew closer to starting, it was like, um, is anybody going to show up? And there were just a few folks there. But the Lord used that as a divine appointment and a, I think a divine lesson in how it's supposed to be done. Uh, a young lad kicked a ball through a window, kicked a soccer ball through a window. Yeah. And came came in very sheepishly looking for his ball. <laughs> Wanted to know what's going on here. And and you were able to explain. He actually sat down and listened and said, you know what? I'm going to bring back some friends. That yeah. had to have blown you out of the water. 
it was the mo- it was the, the the biggest most successful failed mission that we ever did <laughs> <laughs> so yeah and it's exactly what you say you know we'd we'd really tried to gather loads of people and thought we're gonna show the young people of cardiff what's really going on here in wales and and honestly like we tried our hardest and we put on this amazing program nobody shows up and then just before we start the ball comes through the window and this young sheepish lad comes in callum and basically callum sits through the whole thing and then says what you know what we're doing next week well we had you know christians are brilliant at ramp up but terrible at follow-up so we had we had like no plan in place afterwards so what happened was we ended up saying okay come back next week and and I think I say it in the book, like first, first Callum broke our window, then he broke our program. Because That's what true. happened was we had to change everything based on the idea of this um, young man, because the reality was it was like he was not going to sit through a 45-minute preach from right. us, no matter how passionate we were, because we're blessed with that wonderful thing called the curse of knowledge, mm-hmm. where we know all this stuff and he doesn't. So we're assuming that he comes to the table with this prepackaged knowledge. He doesn't. So we had to change our teaching program. We had to change the the way that we do church. And it was brilliant. You know, and we ended up, he brought a lot of his friends. And for that period of time, many, many young people heard the gospel and many young people actually came to Christ. But it was a result as a result of somebody breaking a window. I mean, we couldn't have planned that in a million years. Right. And that's when I think I realized that you know, really that when we come to reaching people, God is drawing people first. He's the one that's doing the drawing, not us. All we have to do is get in line with his plans. And actually, you know, you can't take God anywhere, can you, Mike? You know, it's like God's already there. Already there, yeah. It's so arrogant. I'm like, I'm going to take God into my workplace. I'm going to take God into my school. And God's like, oh, was I not there before? Yeah. And it it did teach us a bit of a lesson. It, It was pretty humbling. Um, but I'm glad you like that story because, yeah. yeah, I'll never forget it. Yeah. I like to remind people, Dave, that when we talk about that proverbial door opening for an opportunity to share Christ or, you know, we all experience those moments when something is said and and we think, wow, I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity and speak. So, Lord, what do you want me to speak? Sometimes we forget it was the Lord that opened that door. He had already prepared that moment in time for you to recognize it. That's a yep. that's a, that's an invitation, isn't it, to join him in what he's already doing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess you know. I suppose it's like the idea of like, why don't you? The invitation is there to join in God's mission. It's not your mission. It's not my mission. Mm-hmm. In in fact, if you think about the word submission, it's literally coming under somebody else's mission, isn't it? Yes, and. Yes. That's, that, that helps me in a way it kind of gives me a little bit more confidence because i think well actually if i'm assuming that god is already in the places where he's sending me to then what i've got to do is rather than become some like amazing christian who has to do it all and make it all happen i just become somebody who has to go and listen and become a bit of a detective and figure out what's god already doing uh, and that's just a radically different approach isn't it it is, and that's that's a hallmark, I believe, of of good uh, communication skills is listening, listening yeah. for what's being said, what's not being said. Craft your questions, and you you talk about this in the book. And again, friends, I'm talking with author Dave Bowden, Parallel Faith, 
walking alongside others on their journey to Christ, listening so that you can ask uh, what I like to call probing questions, open-ended questions, giving people an opportunity to respond and and just share their thoughts. And and when when you allow people the time to do that, don't interrupt, don't object, don't say no, that's no, don't do that. Just listen. And then follow those up with with questions based on what that person said. One of my favorites is, well, why do you think that's true? Or why do you believe that? What, what's the basis? What are your reasons? You'd be surprised at what people will tell you if you approach things that way. And I think that's part and parcel, isn't it, Dave, of, of this concept of parallel faith, walking alongside others? Um, not not trying to to force them into to your predetermined uh, box of, of what it has to look like. So and that requires a lot of patience on our part, doesn't it? It does because we are very quick to want to see results, um, and we want to. It's it, we've described in many ways, haven't we? To that business model of like, you know, I put this input in, so I expect this output out, and the kingdom mm-hmm. of God doesn't work like that. That's in right. fact, Jesus called, didn't he, about sowing the seeds, you know, and actually in, in even in Jesus' economy, 25% of those seeds are going to bear incredible fruit, 75% you're going to struggle. And I think we tend to like to see results instantly. Um, we say that it's because we're passionate about God, but sometimes it's just because we want to stroke our own ego. We want to feel like we're making a difference, feel like we're making an impact. And I think that, what you said there about the idea of walking with people and journeying with them and actually asking questions and having real conversations. I mean, conversations are a dying art, aren't they, in our society, full stop. Mm-hmm. So to create space, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I think sometimes one of the biggest challenges is, even in church, is that where is the space for us to have conversations with Christians, let alone mm-hmm. those who aren't believers? Because we... We attend a church meeting, you know, we listen, we, we sit side by side, you listen to somebody speaking at the front, and then they, the pastor, depending on your church tradition, might say, turn around and say hello to somebody, and then you do a bit of small talk, and then you rinse and repeat. So even within Christianity and the, the kind of setup that we have, without that intentional space for creating honest, open conversations, even in the church, it becomes as hard outside the church because we're not flexing those conversation muscles. We're not doing, doing the practice run. We're not doing the kind of development of deep, vulnerable relationships anymore because we're. it's actually easier probably to keep people at our arm's length or it's easier to do mission to people or to try to convert people to tick a box. But I guess the reality is what Jesus is calling us to, which is what he did, which is love people where they're at. So you love God, you love people. So you walk parallel with God in his purposes, and then you walk parallel with people. How much of a problem is it, a a detriment to walking parallel with people, is our constant focus on time? It's it's a big deal. when I was at university, um, I, I had one of the worst comments made to me by a non-Christian friend 
ever when they said, Dave, I would never want to become a Christian because I'd never want to become as busy as you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I really had to, that really caused me to have a reassessment of my time is that, you know, we're really good at making music. We're really good at making programs. We're really good at making church services happen. Are we good at making disciples? I don't know. What did Jesus tell us to go and do? Make disciples. What's one of the biggest challenges to that? It's, it's intentionality of time. Yes. Um, I think people, we live in a very busy world right now. And as you know, we're busy with many different things. But I would say that in the midst of that, although it's a big challenge time, if you start to change how you see disciple making and change how we see how we can intentionally use our time uh, in different ways, if you're walking alongside people, we can create more opportunities. So it's one thing to say there's a big problem here, but actually the reality is I do think there's there's a tremendous amount of, of solutions as well. And, and I think increasingly I'm seeing mission as, you know, Heidi Baker, she said that ministry is stopping for the one and loving the person in front of you. And I love that idea because actually I can do that wherever I am. So when I'm in work, I can love the person in front of me. When I'm uh, going out to the shops, I can take somebody with me and, and, and intentionally say, well, I've got to do this thing anyway. Do you want to do it with me? And that's one of the ways that I mentor and disciple people in my life is as I'm driving, I'll be making phone calls. As I'm going to the shop uh, or have to go out to an event or something, I'll take somebody with me. And it's that idea of reframing the time that we do have and doubling up with intentionality. You can then create so many more opportunities for discipleship conversations because it is the conversation is everything. Like the conversation we're having now, this is the seeds of where change happened. You know, Jesus, um, you know, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, as we know, they were walking along, having a conversation. Jesus comes alongside them. And basically, masterfully asks them a question like you were talking about earlier. Like, what are you talking about as you're walking along the road? And they and they tell them all this stuff about Jesus. And he basically listens to them, doesn't correct them, but then says, well, yeah, but have you thought about this? So he starts with something they know and then introduces them to something they don't. And at the end of that conversation that's focused on Christ, they say, did not our hearts burn within us yes. as we were walking along the road? I love that phrase so much. Mm-hmm. It's like we want to have conversations with people where people at the end of it say, gosh, I don't know what went on there, but something burned on the inside of me. And that is the biggest way we can add fuel to the fire of somebody moving down the path from being not interested to spiritually curious just by creating that opportunity for conversation. I love it. Yes, yes. Me too, Dave. Me too. So along with time, one of the other things that I was thinking about in uh, advance of our conversation was, um, at least in America, I I think it's probably the same way in in the UK. But here in America, we want things nice and tidy and neat and in order. And we want to be able to uh, if we're going to disciple, we want to see steady progress, steady progress, steady progress. And then finally, we'll be able to hand them off, hand them yep. off to the church, hand them off to Jesus. And, and then we're done. And then so that's not that's not reality, though. You're going to walk with people. It's going to be messy sometimes, isn't it? 
I mean, I wish it was. <laughs> I think we probably experienced a lot of disappointment because we assume that it's going to be like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I'll be honest with you. Is my own, has my own journey with Jesus been like that? No. You know, you know, if you, if you put me on a graph, I'm going to be at least all over the place. Some days, two steps forward, some days, two steps back. And that's the reality of spiritual formation, isn't it? Is that we, we're all being formed into something. So spiritual formation is not just a Christian thing. It's a people, it's a human thing. So we're, everybody's being formed or deformed into something. Uh, we're being shaped by the words that we hear. We've been shaped by the media we consume, by, by the algorithms on our phone. We've been shaped by um, the words that we read on the page. We've been shaped by our family, by our friends, by our education. All of this formation is happening at all times. The question for us as Christians is who, are we, who and what are we being formed into? That's the disciple-making process. And I think, you know, coming back to your 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 point, it's so important that we know and understand that actually God has called each and every one of us. The end goal of discipleship is to become like Jesus. That's the goal. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, we think that it's going to be all regimented and we think it's all going to be like just A plus B equals C, but that's just not how growth works. That's not how people work. And picking up on the point that you said about we want to be able to hand it off I do think there's a key point in here, isn't there, about who is responsible to make disciples? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So there certainly is, and and I think part of the the issue, and it, and it may be, it may be under the surface, and and some believers, some Christians who who are, who are very keen on discipleship, perhaps have have not given it uh, much thought. Um, I think we need to see people. As people, what I mean by that is, as our neighbor, biblically speaking, if we would see them as our neighbor and understand the commandment to to love them, and and that comes with with no qualifications, yeah. because we're quick to try and add qualifications that would give us a little bit of wiggle room yeah. in, in in that command. Um, but I think we should see people as people, as our neighbors whom God calls us to love and not as a project. Yeah. If, if we would see people not as a project, but as our neighbor, I think that'd solve a lot of the issues that we wrestle with. I totally agree. Uh, one of my, I suppose, like things that I really struggle with is when we describe people who aren't Christians as unchurched. Now, you, you may love that phraseology, you may use it all the time, I apologize if it offends, but if you think, if you take this idea of being unchurched to its logical conclusion, like what's the opposite of unchurched? Yeah. Church. <laughs> <Seriously>. <laughs> so it's almost like what we're saying is, you know, we've got somebody that's outside the church, but we're saying, don't worry, guys, you know, we'll hang around with them for a little bit. They can come to some meetings and pretty soon they'll be church like the rest of us. <laughs> if that's the goal, then I'm not sure I'm up for it. Um, and I think the messiness of people's lives and the reality where people are at, the goal has got to be becoming more like Jesus. The goal has got to be how do we help connect this person with Jesus Christ, let him deal with the stuff, and how do we help them be formed to become more like him? So a disciple is somebody who walks with Jesus until they become like him. Yes. And I, 
And that's isn't that a game changing idea? Like when you just think about that, that, uh, and you know, I'm pretty big on language. I think our language dictates culture. And if you think about like, why aren't we talking more about this idea of like helping people become more like Jesus? It's actually not on the agenda um, of something that is actually talked about. And and that's why I think we default to being project based um, yeah. because it's like it's much easier to tick the box and to say we've got somebody to join our club now look i i, I don't want to be i'm not anti-church like i'm part of a local church i love the church yeah jesus died for the church he's the bride of christ the mm-hmm. church is the hope of the world i think it's incredible you know there's nothing like the community of god like a loving people mm-hmm. they are the kingdom of god displayed here on earth jesus said don't you hide your light on you know under a bowl don't hide it it's an abdication of purpose for the church not to shine its light in this world but I think we so easily allow religious straitjackets and Christian bubbles to overtake the the organic nature of what God has called us to be. Yeah, amen. And and he has, he has. We know that the scriptures tell us that God's desire for all who come to faith in Christ is to become conformed into the image of yeah. Jesus. And if if that's God's goal then the question we should have is what part do I play in that father? What, what part, how do you want me to participate in that, that journey, uh, parallel faith? How can I walk along with someone and continually point them to Jesus? Yes. That's the question, isn't it? It, it? It's, it's the question and it ought to be the only question really, if you think about it. Um, <laughs> and, and that's why I think one of the, the ways that I sort of came onto this idea of like the parallel walking alongside was by looking at the life story of C.S. Lewis. Because mm-hmm. uh, C.S. Lewis, we know as a great Christian, don't we? We know as a great man of God, wrote many books, and he was just an absolute powerhouse for the kingdom of God. But Lewis actually had quite a slow burner approach to his faith. And there's, there's you know, there's books all about this. There's a film called the most reluctant convert. And he, he just described himself as the most reluctant convert in all of England. So Lewis was a guy that was, he was an atheist. He didn't believe in God at all. And then he eventually had a bit of an encounter with God where he got down on his knees one day and prayed. And he describes himself as the most reluctant convert in all of the world. But he did, he prayed and just acknowledged that God even existed. He didn't want to follow Jesus. So can you imagine then You've got this idea of like Lewis moving from that place of being an atheist to acknowledging God. It took him another 12 years to then come to faith in Christ and actually surrender his life to him. And, you know, the reason why he surrendered his life was because he was really close friends with two people. One was called Dyson and the other one was called J.R.R. Tolkien. And they used to take walks on a in Magdalen College. There's a, a loop called Addison's Loop, and it's Addison's Walk. And they used to take this walk and talk about God on this walk. It was a mile-long loop, and it was just big enough. I've walked it with my wife. It's just big enough for two people to walk side by side on. And and I walked this journey, and I, I when I walked it, I thought I was trying to like listen in, and I wanted to hear, like, imagine C.S. Lewis having a conversation with Tolkien about God. Like, I wish I was there trying to hear the whispers of history you know and and at the end of that walk i walked the mile loop i just turned to my wife and i was like side by side i was like this is discipleship yes amen amen 
Well, Dave, I, I want to jump to um, part two. There's there's so much in the book that I, I really appreciated. And again, friends, I am talking with author Dave Bowden, Parallel Faith, walking alongside others on their journey to Christ. Our, our microwave mentality and, and quick fix for everything is has become uh, clearly a detriment to um, participating in the mission of disciple making. Uh, and of course, the goal, and, and we can go back to Matthew chapter 28, the goal is to make disciples. And of all the nations means whomever you come in contact with, wherever you might be. Uh, now, I live in the Midwest, and we're not too cosmopolitan here. So every once in a while, now I did meet a a woman Sunday who, who visited our our fellowship uh, from from uh, Korea. So so that was nice. Yeah. Um, but as far as other nations, but apply it where you live. Amen. So so uh, so part two of the book, um, Dave. Part part one, folks, is parallel with purpose. So I think we've been discussing that pretty pretty well. Parallel yeah. with purpose. Um, part two is parallel with people. And so you, you have a number of chapters and I'm just going to read those titles, but there are a couple that I want to really call attention to the time we have left, but part two parallel with people. So there's a chapter on preparing, talking, translating, beholding, creating, hosting, teaching, unpacking, birthing. So you're gonna have to get the book if you want to know what all of that means. And it's well worth your read folks. If you are interested in discipleship, this is a good book. It isn't. It isn't your typical book on discipleship, and 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 the reason that I like it so much, Dave, I think, is that it's not about um, programs. No, because we've we've got we've got enough programs already. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of programs already out there. I would love to see love, love, love. So maybe, folks, that you're listening and. You belong to a local uh, ecclesia. Uh, maybe one of these days soon, just approach your pastor and say, hey, have you ever given any thought to maybe cutting back on some of the programs that we have going on and just offering a class on conversations? Mm-hmm. Now, that's going to pique curiosity. <laughs> what are you talking about, class on conversations? Well, how about if we we just have conversations about what faith is, what it means, what it means to us. How do how would how would we explain our faith to someone who is not familiar with even Jesus? And that's rare here where I live in the Midwest. But every once in a while, I'll come across someone who seriously has never has no background of the Lord Jesus. Now, other places that happens a lot. But how about if we just suggested that to to your pastor and say. Um, let's just have conversations and you know what that's going to do folks. And then Dave, I'll shut up and let you comment what that's going to do. When you start having those conversations about faith and what it means you're actually exploring in, in, in a deeper manner, what faith really is, who Jesus Christ really is, why he is the answer to the, to the issues that people are facing and how you can go about presenting Christ in that fashion, answering questions that people have related to that, you're actually building your own skill set and you're overcoming uh, 
is it fair to say there's a fear today, Dave, that Christians have about sharing their faith? Oh, I think there's there's a huge fear. Yeah, absolutely. For many different reasons, probably mm-hmm. maybe even some of them legitimately, eh? Because there's that mm-hmm. fear isn't there of us being cancelled with cancel culture. Yeah. Um, there's a fear of, that we won't know what to say. There's a fear that we'll say the wrong thing and put somebody mm-hmm. on. Um, and and this is why you know we have to to overcome our fears. We have to go back to that point we made right at the beginning, which was understand that we have the Holy Spirit with us, um, yeah. and He's He's there to actually help empower us to have these conversations. That's right. That's right. So that goes right in hand in glove with Chapter Ten on talking. Yeah. So, so you you mentioned three challenges that we yeah. have. Um, we are too technology driven, too tech driven, too agenda driven. We've we've touched on that already, um, and too results driven. That's that's the whole project over person um, attitude. So here are three habits of open conversation, and I'm just going to to throw them out there and then let you comment, Dave. Great. Three habits of three habits of open conversation, friends. Habit number one. Ask open questions. Better questions always result in better conversations. Habit number two, listen with open ears. Listening is at the heart of all effective conversations. And then three, create open spaces. Life offers rare moments when we get to talk about the subjects we really care about. So your thoughts on that. There's a lot there, Dave. There's a a lot. I I think, okay, let's let's start with... uh, asking better questions because i think this is something that you know like again we could all fall foul of not even asking people a real genuine question other than how are you you know how's the weather um how's your week been and we tend to stay in the shallow end don't we so often um and one of the when i was 16 years old i used to work in toys r us and i used to sell bikes and the first thing they taught me was never ask a closed question. And, mm-hmm. and you know, yep. uh, what would happen is classically people would go up to somebody in the bike section and say, can I help you? And, of course, immediately people will say, no. That's don't right. It's a closed question. So they said, don't ask that. When you go to somebody, say, what kind of bike are you looking for? Because when you do that, it's an open question that demands an answer. So I used to try this. So I'd go along and I'd say, what kind of bike are you looking for? And I'd see people go, no, thanks. And then they'd stop themselves and realize, <laughs> oh, he asked me an open question. I yeah. have to engage. And it, it was incredible. It worked every time. And I actually became the top bike seller just because of that one little tip. But, um, you know, Jesus, Jesus was brilliant at asking questions. And he asked lots of open questions. And he started by asking people questions about what they knew and then he opened and introduced them to something he didn't know, which I think is, was genius. Yeah. Um, you know, I think not being afraid to address the reality of challenges of what's going on through questions uh, is important. Often, you know, I had a, a bit of an encounter recently with somebody who was a staunch atheist and really not interested in God at all. Uh, and I've, I've moved away from the point of trying to argue with that person. Now I ask them, how did you come to that position then? Yes. Yeah, like, why are you where you are? And I take an interest. And you'll find that people will undo themselves just by mm-hmm. listening to themselves. 
And pretty soon they then start to go, well, what about you as well? And, you know, so it, it's kind of asking questions like, tell me, tell me about what's your understanding of, is it possible that, and ha- asking those kind of questions. And then in conversation, I think there's something about discerning why is the person asking you what they're asking? So, for example, if I said to you, Mike, you know, like, why does God allow suffering? Well, there's two answers that you can give to that. Well, there's actually, there's multiple, but, but I can tell you a logical, which I describe as a head, a head answer, you know, well, it's because of this, 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 and this, and this, or I can give you a heart answer, which is, do you know what? I can't answer it every time. I don't fully understand this, but what about this, this, and this? And I think it's sometimes important to discern when they're asking the question, are they asking it from position of their head, logic, or their heart going on? So, for example, why does God allow suffering might actually mean, why did God let my sister die of COVID-19? Mm-hmm. Yep. That's, that's, what that's what they're really asking. That's right. But they're coming at you with a broad open question. So I think discerning spiritually, even praying as sometimes you're having conversations is key in this, isn't it? Yes. Say, God, help me discern. And also, like I do it a lot, I'll say, well, why do you ask that? <laughs> that. I don't know, why did, why did you ask it? So open questions is is really, really important. Um, I think having open ears is key. You touched on it earlier brilliantly. Um, I have an executive coach, somebody who coaches me in the business, that the, the, the charity that I lead. And, um, you know, we pay her money. She sits there for an hour and I think she must earn earn she must earn about, you know, 10 pounds a word because she hardly asks me, says anything. She asks the right questions and then she does active listening. So she's showing me that she's listening. She's doing what you're doing tonight, which is being engaged, open ears, open uh, heart, open mindset. And that in itself is a very powerful tool, I think, for us just to be active listeners as Christians because young people especially and the next generation, but I believe everybody, they equate being heard with feeling loved. Mm, yes. Yeah. Good point. And that's just so key, isn't it? Yes. Uh, and then obviously the, the thing about open spaces is really about being the type of person, maybe being part of the type of church where we actually fight to create open spaces where we let go of our agenda more and say to God, God, what do you actually want to do in this space? And I found we found this through Clear Series that the first the first session of Clear Series that the the learning outcome was is life worth stopping to think about that was the question. Mm. What happened was we'd be, we, that was the question, and we'd find that that people were talking about Jesus, they were talking about faith, talking about all sorts from that one question. Wow, why? Because they created space to start talking about things that really matter, and I do think that we've got to be good at the small talk because what happens is when you talk about things that don't matter, it allows you to talk about things that do. Yeah, We've got to be better at creating those spaces and blow out the, the kind of religious box of where these things take place. Do they only take place in a church meeting? No, they take place around the dinner table. They take place around a campfire. They take place on a car journey. <laughs> they take place sometimes in spaces when, in times when we don't want them to happen. You know, like when I'm, the, the one thing about, um, you know, in Peter, it says, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have, but yes. do this 
with gentleness and, and respect. And the first thing of that is always be ready. Well, that implies that God is going to give us opportunities, but not on the time scale that we want them to be at. Mm-hmm. So it's like when I'm talking with my teenagers, uh, I've got well, nearly four teenagers, I've got three teenagers, but they always seem to want to have conversations late at night. Mm-hmm. They're like they always seem to want to talk when I'm doing something else. And I'm like, can you come back on when, when it's on my agenda? But if we're really talking about this thing about wanting to walk alongside other people, sometimes God gives us an open space. That means that we've got to drop what we're doing and engage. That's and when right. we do that, that's where the magic happens. Yes. Amen. Amen. And we're we're running down here, but I, I did I also want to encourage you folks, take to heart everything that, that Dave has been saying during our conversation get the book parallel faith walking alongside others on their journey to Christ. And, and one thing I would add friends, be slow, very, very, in fact, I wouldn't show any sign of being angry, offended, or upset at what someone might say. Um, over the course of time, I've been a born again believer day for 40, over 40 years now. And Kathy, my wife, Kathy and I, we've, we've reared four grown daughters, married grandchildren. Well done. One, love, yes. One, one, one thing I've learned over the years is that we develop uh, sensitivities that we're not even aware of until somebody strikes them with a hammer. It, it, mm-hmm. not, not intentionally. They don't mean to. We're in conversation with them and they say things and it goes, oh, that's boy, I just want to correct that. It's like, no, you need to listen. So be slow to be offended and angry. That has no place in that conversation. Now it you might, the Lord might orchestrate it at a later day where you'll be able to to maybe offer some guidance to help someone understand more clearly and they can make those course corrections. But don't interrupt what God is doing. And by the way, this might have to be the last <laughs> the last question. Um, and you mentioned this, I, I think, very early on in our conversation. Uh, friends, don't think that you're doing this alone. Remember Matthew 28. Jesus said, all authority is mine in, in heaven and earth. And he has delegated that to us. And so he commissions us. He gives us a commission. An assignment to go make disciples, and, and, he, and he says in there, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. So God has already instilled in you and will in the moment that it's needed things that he wants you to share. But see it, friends, as loving your neighbor, walking together through this process. But God is in control He's in charge. You're not alone. Don't think it, it is the weight of this is on you because it isn't. You are a vessel in God's hands that he is using. Dave, I'll let you come in. Uh, yeah, I love that. And, and it reminds me of this whole idea of how I believe that Jesus wants us to see, himself, see ourselves as ambassadors of Christ. It's what yes. Paul says, that you are ambassadors. So an ambassador is sent on behalf of somebody else to go to a new place and to bring a message on behalf of the kingdom that they came from. Well, that's us as Christians. So I think, you know, in what you've said, there's such a great way to finish because we're talking about God giving us the authority and giving us the power 
to go and be ambassadors on his behalf. And really, this is not just about changing our behavior. It's about changing the way that we see ourselves. And I believe that every Christian has to change the way they see themselves. So we see ourselves as an identity, our identity becomes, I'm an ambassador. I'm sent by God on behalf of God to the people around me. Then that changes everything. So if you, um, you know, if you are a, uh, you see a burning building, if your identity is, I, I see myself as a firefighter, you're going to run towards the building, not away from it, aren't you? So that's an, a, the identity that you have, the way you see yourself, then determines your action. And this is what I, the same way with us as ambassadors, that if we see ourselves as called and sent, then we have to leave our Christian bubble. We can't stay in our religious comfort zone. And we have to be those that are willing to walk alongside other people and to bridge that gap between the church and the world. Yes. It's, it's a no-brainer because we're going to be the people that God has called us to be. Amen. Amen. Dave, I have really, really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. The website, um, I think there are two. One, now you're on Substack. I am, yeah. Yep. Yeah. DaveBowden.substack.com. Yeah. There, there it is. Thank you very much, producer. We appreciate that. And is there another website or is this the primary one? So this is the the blog. If you want to read a little bit of my stuff, I write some fun stories and talk about discipleship um, over on the Substack. And then if you want to get hold of a copy of the book, you can go on daveboden.uk forward slash parallel faith. And it gives you all the links to everywhere. But to be honest, you can find the book everywhere. It's all, all the places that good books are sold. And if you can't find it there, that means that place doesn't sell good books, Mike. <laughs> I'm going to steal that one, Dave. I like yeah, that. <laughs> that's what I think. If you can't find it, that's their problem, isn't it? That's exactly right. Amen. Well, folks, that's all we have for you today. Thank you for sharing this conversation on your platforms and with your friends. If this is something that you're interested in, why don't you reach out to, to Dave through the contact on his site and tell him you appreciated it and ask your question. I'm sure he'd be happy to answer that for you. God bless you all. We'll see you next time. Thank you again, Dave. Thank you. Bye.